Well, good morning, Hope Church. It's good to be sharing the Word of God with you again. Uh, this talk is going to be continuing our series, Life with Jesus, which is coming from 1 John, the book of 1 John in the New Testament. Now, this is a letter, like a lot of the New Testament, they're letters. They were written by a real person, John, to real people, the churches he knew and cared for, and they were about real situations. They were related to what was going on at the time. So we've got to remember that and it helps us to understand it. We get a little bit of a, an understanding of the context because John wasn't writing for thousands of years later, us, 2000 years later. He was writing for people then and he was writing with in mind what they had been through and were going through at that time. And now they were having a tough time. They probably suffered some persecution, but actually one of the things that's really been disturbing for them and for John is that quite a lot of people have left. They've had some divisions and those people have left the church quite recently. And he makes one reference to that in chapter two, verse 19. He's talking about those people when he says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So that's one of his direct references to the people that left. But most of the time, he's he's not really focusing on the negative. He's focusing on the positive. And he's looking to bring redemptive, encouraging words to these Christians who've perhaps struggled a bit with all the stuff that's going on around them at that time. So it's going to be relevant to us, although hopefully we haven't had exactly the same problems. But these are words to encourage us in our daily life and in our walk with God and, and in working out who we are as Christians. And really, John repeatedly highlights what God the Father has done for us by sending God the Son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. And what an amazing salvation that is, how wonderful it is that that has not only forgiven our sins and cleansed us from that, but there's loads of positive things. We're changed. We're going to walk and live in a new way. We have a direct personal experience of the love of God. This gospel is truly good news. And John is making that very clear. And he's actually saying it's so powerful. It's so good that you cannot receive this gospel you cannot put your faith in Jesus Christ and be born again and have the Holy Spirit come in you cannot do that and remain unchanged if you really meant it if you really committed your life to Jesus it will change you the Holy Spirit he will change you he'll come inside he'll change you from the inside out he'll bring you into new power new understanding uh, uh, renew your mind change you from the inside out and you will intimately and personally know God you come into a relationship with God you know him as your father you really know him you can talk to him you can hear him talk to you and that intimacy that uh, direct knowing of God is not only an amazing privilege but it will bring with it some lasting changes in your life there'll be fruit from this great salvation that fruit will probably in simple terms be summed up as a growing love for God a growing love for God's family, that's the church, and a growing love for the lost, as we'd call it, for those who don't yet know Jesus. Love will grow in all these ways in those who truly are following Jesus and are born again of the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to look at a little passage in 1 John 2, and you'll see some of those themes come out there. So I'm going to read it to you. It's 1 John 2 verses 3 to 6. 
I'm reading from the ESV version. And by this we know that we have come to know him, that him's God, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him, now we're really thinking about Jesus here, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I want to look at those verses under two headings. First of all, I'm going to talk about a provoking challenge, and then I'm going to talk about an amazing possibility. And these words are for all of us, who know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Now, on the way through this morning, I'll give you some idea how you too can know Jesus and know God as your Father and have an intimacy with God and see the love of God in your life and experience it coming through you to others. So that, that that's possible. But these words are primarily directed at those of us who've already taken that step of faith. So that's the context. Let's talk about a provoking challenge. Praying a prayer or joining a church or just knowing a set of doctrines and say being able to answer questions on them, does none of those things guarantee that you are a real Christian. It's a little more profound than that. It's knowing God and knowing God is not just information about him, like knowing facts about God. It's knowing him what we call experiential. It's experience. Knowing God as a person. So being a Christian means you have a relationship with the living God. You can know him. Truly know him. Know him as your heavenly father. Know him as the one who loves you and cares for you and leads you day by day. Being a Christian means that Jesus is more than a historical figure. He's not just an interesting character in history or someone you know about from the Bible. It means you sort of know him. Now, there's this complexity that there's one God, three persons. That's called the Trinity. But it's a wonderful way of understanding how it works because Jesus was God come in the flesh who died for our sins, rose again and brought salvation to us. God the Father planned all that and God the Spirit brings it all to reality, actualizes it in our lives. But it's actually all the work of one wonderful God. Three distinct persons, one being. And that's a mystery. But God's big. He's bigger than you and me. So there will be mysteries to him. But it's a joy to understand that. That when we come to know Jesus as our saviour. When the Holy Spirit comes in to live inside us. We have God in us. We now know God. Nobody, Nothing less than God. It's truly God. And when Jesus died for us. That was the son of God dying for us. And he loved you enough to die for you. He loved me enough to die for me. And, and, and that brings me great assurance about what a, what a truly loving, faithful God he is. He's done the ultimate thing. He's given the ultimate gift. He's, he's died for me to save me. So I'm secure in my relationship with him. And I can begin to relax, if I can put it that way, into that relationship, begin to talk to him, begin to know him. There's a verse that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.19, which I just want to refer it to. He says, when you become a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. He says, do you not know, writing to Christians like you and me, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Wow. 
your body, little you, little me, with all its funny ways, mine's getting a bit old and falling apart, this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in here. And he, and he walks with me and talks with me and I can know him. This is wonderful. I can know God in this intimate way. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's not just a simple nod to something, a little put your hand up in a meeting or sign a set of doctrines. It's knowing God and you can know him. You can know him this morning. It, it, it just means that you really and sincerely say, oh, Father, I know that I've done lots of things to hurt you and offend you. I know I'm a long way from you in myself, but I know you love me. I know you sent Jesus to die for me. I want to know you as my father. Please forgive me. Forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Please accept me as your, your son, your child, and bring me into your kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my life. Give me new life. Now, you use your own words. Those aren't the precise words. I'm giving you a sense of what you pray. But if you pray that with sincerity, I assure you God is eager to come into your life you will be born again of the holy spirit and that's the beginning of a journey it's not all the whole deal that's the beginning of a journey of knowing god and as we'll see in a few minutes walking with him day by day now when you we're talking about the provoking challenge to start with and when you become a christian and have the holy spirit live inside you it will change you from the inside out. And do you know, what are the, one of the most um, obvious changes I always feel, it was true of me, and it's, I've often seen it true of other people who become Christians, is that this is a slightly odd one, really. You quite early on begin to become conscious of your own failures and weaknesses, actually what we call sins. So although you've had your sins forgiven and all that, one of the signs that something's changed inside is you suddenly think, oh, Oh dear, I shouldn't have lost my temper there. Oh, crumbs, a bad word slipped out. Things that you didn't even give a thought to before you became a Christian suddenly bother you and disturb you. I mean, I remember a, a very uh, nice middle-class lady who was a good school teacher um, who, who, who became a Christian um, in middle life. Uh, and uh, I remember her talking to her and she said to me, do you know, one of the things that's changed is I always used to like to give my friends dirty birthday cards with sort of dirty jokes on them. But she said, now I, I, I blush when I see the cards I used to give. I wonder, why on earth did I do that? And I'm busy looking for cards with a nice Bible verse in them to send to She was giving them to her friends who weren't Christians. But I'm not saying that's a sign that you have to do that. But it's a really interesting sign of life. Something had changed inside her and she suddenly thought, really? Did I think that was funny? Did I think it was a good way of, wow, ooh, how embarrassing. Ah, and Now, in a way, that is a great sign of life. You see, the Christian life isn't rules. It's not laws. I mean, who'd make a list of laws that included birthday cards or what, I don't know, what film you watch or what newspaper you read? You can't go there. But what it is, is about... God coming inside you, the Holy Spirit again changing you from the inside and things that you once thought nothing about. It could well be swearing. It could be a little bit of lying, stealing a bit of money. It could be 101 things. And you begin to feel, wow, I'm not happy with that. But why? The positive is because now you want to please God. Now you know him. You know what offends him and what isn't right and isn't how a child of God should behave. And you have a genuine desire to line up with him and to obey him. And you no longer think, well, everything I do is okay. God, you know, God's wrong and I'm right. You begin to think the other way around. You realise God's right and I'm wrong. And these are key signs to being a Christian. 
And the challenge of this is, if you don't experience anything like that, I challenge you, are you truly yet a Christian? You can do something about it now, but actually a real Christian is not happy disobeying the Father. Is not happy offending God. Actually wants to please God. One of the signs of spiritual life is that you want to please God. And you're not happy when you don't. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect. We've had a couple of talks. I think it's both Steve and Tim have referred to earlier passages in, in 1 John. Here's two of the verses they would refer to. Now, these are telling us we're not sinless when we become a Christian, but we do have an attitude more like this. Let me read to you 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The thing is, as a Christian, I know this from personal experience, week by week, actually, even though I've been a Christian for many, many years, there'll be times when I feel, oh, I've let God down. Oh, I've blown it. I've been rude. I've been selfish. I've been greedy. I, I just watch something I shouldn't. I've allowed lustful thoughts to linger. And what do you do then? Well, you confess your sin. You know you belong to God. You know you're already his child. You're just a child who's offended the father. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse you, will go on cleansing you from your sin. But you need to apply it to restore your relationship with God. Then a verse I think Tim spoke on the other day, which is similar. It's 1 John 2, 1. My little children, writing to the Christians, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we'd have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So ideally, we don't want to offend God and sin. But if we do, there's an answer. Jesus is for us on our case and the Holy Spirit is going to prompt us, give us a bit of a conscience about it. And before long, we'll want to turn to Father and say, sorry, cleanse me and restore me. And Jesus has already covered it before we've done that. But that will bring us into relationship with the Father. So as we sort of land this first point, let's think it through carefully. If you are a real Christian, you will never be happy if you're offending God. Let me give you the verse that was in our passage. Verse five, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Just let that sink in. One of the ways we know we're a Christian, which is in Jesus, is that we want to please God. We want to obey him. We want to keep his word. Now, we don't always succeed, but we genuinely want to. And that fresh new desire, which is not really in the heart of anybody until they're a Christian, that is a significant evidence that we are truly saved. You see, love, and this is about love for God, is not, it, it's got action. It's not just a feeling. It's an act, active. And the action of our love for God is that we want to obey him and we want to please him. Now, we might struggle even getting our heads around that in a modern day because we've so debased the word love, we don't really understand it. I haven't got time to go to go into that all. But but to be honest, we've got a lot of things we think today uh, about about love. We think it's just things that make you feel good and are good for you almost. We've almost boiled it down to something that makes that I feel content with and happy with. But this is we've got to put that all aside and, and look at what the love really means. Real meaning of love is that I'm prepared 
to inconvenience myself or even sacrifice myself for the one I love. That's a general principle. But in the context here, it means I want to live in a way that pleases God more than pleases me. Now, actually, in the end, we will enjoy obeying God. But that's not where we start. We don't live to please ourselves. We live to please God. And that's the provoking challenge. Do you live to please God? I'm not asking, do you have a 100% track record? I'm asking about your motives, your heart. Do you want to live to please God? If you do, then that's ample evidence that you are in him. Okay, let's move on to the second major point. I want to talk about an amazing possibility, and this is amazing. Let me read to you again 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him, the him is Jesus, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. I mean, you, you're going to see in a moment, that is amazing, but you could almost read it and sort of think, well, yeah, what's that mean? But you need to stop and let it sink in. It's basically saying, if you are a Christian and abiding in Jesus, you will begin to walk the way Jesus walked. We probably ought to take a moment to say, why walk? Walk is a way the Bible describes living. Quite common, actually. You'll come across it, a little sort of metaphor, if you like. Come across it quite a bit in the New Testament. It's a way of describing the journey through life. And actually, it's quite a good way of describing it. Because walking implies activity. Life, you live, you act. It's walking along, it's active. And we need to realise that our Christian life is a walk. It's active, it's action. It's not just about feelings and what we think, it's about how we act, it's walking. Walking implies progress. You're going somewhere, you're moving forward. The Christian life is going somewhere, it's moving forward. Walking implies should we say perseverance if someone just does one or two steps we don't really call that walking walking is that you keep going and you walk hour after hour probably if you're trying to go somewhere and that's true walking implies a long journey I mean many of us who are not so fit as that would consider running a very short experience maybe manage a few hundred yards if we're good or even if only tens of yards if you're like me before you stop puffing and blowing but walking, I even I can keep going for hours. It's, it's about a longer journey. It's a great picture of life. Life is a walk. Now, the amazing thing about this verse we've just read is that we are called as Christians to walk through life the way Jesus walked through life. And we're not just called to it. It's a sort of promise. This is how we will live. You if you think about that, you can think, can that be serious? Is the Bible saying that I should walk or live or go through life the way Jesus did? Well, here's important thing to understand. If the Christian faith is law and rules, then this is ridiculous. It was hard enough to obey the Ten Commandments and most of us would have fallen long short, far short of obeying the Ten Commandments. But if we're now told that in order to be a Christian, you need to live exactly as Jesus did, that's harder than the Ten Commandments. And 
And, and I think in your own strength and energy, you won't do it. It's impossible. If this is a law, it's just got a whole lot harder than the Ten Commandments. So it cannot be a law, and it isn't. It's about a possibility of change from the inside out by the Holy Spirit and how that will work out. It's not saying if you live like this, like Jesus, then you will be making yourself a Christian. It's not saying that. It's saying if you are a Christian, you will begin to live like this, like Jesus. Like Get that clear in our heads. It's not saying you've got to try and live like Jesus in order to be a Christian. It is saying if you truly are a Christian and you love the Lord and you've put your, given your life to Jesus, you will begin to live like this and you will walk on through life increasingly like that. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's linked to what we've already said. You're born of the Holy Spirit, so you've got God in you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit day by day. You can talk to Jesus. You know he's with you and for you. You can receive stuff from him and he'll guide you and lead you. You, you are able to daily walk with God, daily know him, know his changing, renewing power. You will be renewed. You will be filled with the Spirit. You will begin to behave differently. God has given me the possibility, which by God's grace is working out in my life, to be a John Groves who behaves more like Jesus than the old John Groves. And that's going to be true. Put your own name in it. You can walk like Jesus walked. You can be a Jesus like you. <laughs> a Jesus like you. Now, the absolutely full transformation will not occur until you see Jesus face to face. Because then you'll have a body like his as well. Not looking like his. It'll still be you, but renewed like his. In other words, an eternal body without sickness, without limitation, without any of the blemishes, like his resurrection body. You will have a body like his resurrection body, but that's not happened yet. That's still to come when we see him face to face. But we have begun the process and already from the inside out, we're being renewed. We're being changed. The Bible says from one degree of glory to another, you're changed from one degree of glory to another as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. We cannot match Jesus in his personal perfection or obviously in his unique mission as the son of God to die for us. But if we abide in him, that means live in him, trust in him and he allow, as we have by becoming Christian, his spirit, the spirit of Christ to live in us. You will be changed to be more like Jesus, his faith, his purity his obedience to the Father, his compassion, his power and his works will begin to be part of your life and your walk. As you walk daily, you'll begin to react and act more like Jesus would have done. Jesus said some remarkable things in John 14, verse 12. He said to his disciples, and they were a pretty mixed old bunch. They weren't perfect by a long way. He said they would do the works he did but even greater works. I think he probably meant greater in number and mag multiplication, but nevertheless, that's the way he put it. So we're not talking here only about uh, moral change. We're talking about 
the miracles Jesus did. We're talking about being able to respond the way Jesus did to needs and crises. Uh, Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This sort of thing that Jesus promised his disciples. But on the other hand, it's not only that, it is immoral. It is reacting like Jesus would with, with compassion and love and patience and grace to all sorts of people from the most um, sort of tough centurion down to the, the impoverished leper through the prostitute, the tax collector. Think of how Jesus responded to all different people. Well, we'll learn to be like that. But we'll be Jesus-like. You know, we're called to be holy. And sometimes you can say, well, what does it mean to be holy? Well, here's a simple definition. Holiness is Jesus. To be holy is to be like Jesus. He was the holiest person ever. So we will walk like he walked if we want to be holy people. And that's the goal the Holy Spirit has for us. In the verses just after us, there's this uh, other verse. This is the verse I want to end with. Um, John writes in 1 John 2, 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, dear old John isn't the most clear writer, so forgive me, but I'm not going to explain the whole sentence. It sounds a bit complicated, but there's a lovely little nugget at the end. He says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's he saying? Well, he's linking into something Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, yes, we get that. But then he remarkably said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. He did. And you think, what's he mean? What he means this. I'm going to come and live in you and change you. And you're going to be the light to the world. And the darkness, which is all around us, will only begin to pass away when the true light, that's us, with the Holy Spirit in us, begin to really shine into it. If there's going to be any light in this dark world, it's going to come from the Jesus people, from the people who follow Jesus, who know and love him, because it's his light in us that will push the darkness back. So heaven's light can shine through you to those around you. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you can walk as Jesus walked. You need to say, God, help me. Jesus, help me. I want to react and act like you would. I want you to guide my thoughts. I want to obey the Father. I want to pray for the sick. I want to bring peace where there's conflict. I want to bring compassion and love where there's need. I, I just want to meet, the, meet everything with the grace you have, Jesus. That's a real possibility, an amazing possibility. The Bible says Christians can bring the real presence of the living God in a tangible way into every situation where they are. When you walk into the room, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you walk into the room, a little bit of light enters the room. The presence of Jesus comes in with you. That is remarkable. Are you ready to go out and live like that this week? I hope you are. I feel challenged in preparing a talk like this. So I'm there with you. I want to walk more and more like Jesus walked. The Bible tells me that's the expectation of Christians. So as we end, I'm going to pray for everyone watching this morning, and I'm praying in a sense for myself, for all of us who are in him, in Jesus Christ, that we will walk like he would walk in every situation that we go into in the week ahead. We will walk through it with the power of the Holy Spirit and the light of God's love shining right through us and out to others. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I am amazed at the gospel you've given us. I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die for me and to save me, to take me out of darkness into light. But Lord, I'm also amazed that you've told me that I'm called to be a light myself. I'm called to walk as Jesus walked. And Lord Jesus, you're in heaven, but I'm part of your body and I'm the arms and the legs you want to use today to reach the world and to bring hope and healing and help to those around me. Lord, I can't do it in my own strength, but you know that. That's why you've come to live in me by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that everyone listening today will be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you'll give us a new, fresh anointing that your church might rise up and be the light of the world you've called her to be. I pray, Lord, that every believer listening to this talk will walk as you, Jesus, walk through the next week and week after that, through our lives from now on. Lord, guide us, keep us. Holy Spirit, fill us. We are ready, Lord, to be your ambassadors, to be your lights in a dark world. Please empower us and enable us now. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.